You are listening to Pioneers at Work podcast, episode 16, part one, with Lady Kitty Chisholm. Welcome to Pioneers at Work podcast, a place for trailblazers to learn about blazing your trail, owning your journey, and having the right tools in your backpack to lead the life of your choosing, and a place to believe that you have everything you need to make a difference in the world. On this first of a two-part conversation, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Lady Kitty Chisholm. Kitty is a coach, author, speaker, and facilitator. Her focus is on attitude and behavioral change in individuals, teams, and organizations. Kitty's work is evidence-based using applied neuroscience and psychology resulting in motivation, resilience, and performance. As a founder director of Boardwalk Leadership, Kitty used her knowledge of how brains changed to get more women into leadership roles and help organizations develop more inclusive cultures and practices. Boardwalk Leadership provided training and consultancy services to clients such as Cisco, EMEAR, ExoNoble, GKN, Heathrow, Thales, UK Cabinet Office, TIM Italia, UBS, and Merck's. Kitty co-designed and delivered leadership development programs in China, North America, and across Europe. She led the team that developed All In. According to one client, still the best online unconscious bias training program on the market. Her work with the UK's Open University gave her a passionate interest in how individuals and organizations learn and change. She co-founded the OU's Knowledge Media Institute, a multidisciplinary R&D lab at the forefront of innovation in learning and teaching technologies. Kitty is well known as a public speaker on learning and leadership. She delivered a TEDx on the power of attention. She co-authored four books, including Neuroscience for Leadership with Paul Brown and Tara Swart which was awarded the CMI Practical Manager Category Prize for 2016 and Championing Women Leaders with Jajina Jahu Jajifra. Kitty was a trustee of the Science Museum Group and on the advisory board of the School of Management of Royal Hollowell, University of London. She is a fellow of Brunel University, Royal Hollowell, the RSA, and the Knowledge Institute. She has an MA from Cambridge, an MSc from Henley Business School, and is working for a PhD on behavioral change at the Open University's KMI. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Pioneers at Work, and welcome to Lady Kitty Chisholm. It's so wonderful to have Kitty Chisholm on Pioneers at Work, and she has so much to share with us today about not only her personal journey, but everything that she's bringing to championing women in our world. So, Kitty, it is so great to have you here, especially because of the impact you have helping women understand challenges and opportunities of leadership, also how you help women 
propel themselves into their careers. You're inspiring them. You're motivating them. And it's a pleasure to have you on this podcast. Ellen, thank you so much. Uh, It's an honor for me to be with you and to be speaking to lots of entrepreneurial women in the U.S. and elsewhere. And uh, that's what I love doing. Uh, I love exchanging views with women who are going places and building businesses and building careers. Yeah, it's so energizing, I think, that idea of helping women really make progress in building their own business. And that's what really kind of connected us together. So I'm wondering if you could tell us your story and how you came into this area of championing women. Right. Well, the first thing I should say is people say I'm a magpie. I'm interested in lots of things. So I didn't have a linear career. I I've counted, and I had nine different careers doing nine different things. And I'm now back in my 75th year, and I'm a PhD. Uh, I started as a teacher of a job because everyone said I look too small and young. Um, And they told me to go away and learn how to type. And that was in 1969. And I didn't want to do that. So I started with an academic career and then went into administration uh, and course development in a in, at the Open University of the UK, which was a pioneering distance teaching university using the media of the day, TV and radio and eventually CDs. And that was way before the internet. And then I went from developing courses and producing courses and course material to marketing and business development. And it was while I was doing those kind of jobs that one day I kind of woke up and looked around me and thought, hmm, here am I, probably in my early to mid-30s, with a lot of other young, able, highly ambitious, highly talented and skilled young women, and we weren't going anywhere. It wasn't us getting the promotions. It was blokes, as we call them over here in the UK. And some of them were very good, and you could see why, and some of them were not very good. And you couldn't see why they were getting promoted, and you and other women like you weren't. And so I did a bit of testing of the system. Uh, I went for promotion, was told I was unpromotable. Uh, And um, that really woke me up. And so for the rest of my career, I I did get promoted in the end. Um, I became a development director. I ended up having a team of about, 40 people because I not only did development and alumni relations and business development and IP exploitation, I set up a small proto company doing distance training for for companies and hired a team to do that. So I was quite entrepreneurial in an intrapreneurial kind of way. Mm. And one, uh, and I loved killing committees 
and setting up institutions to do stuff. So I set up the Knowledge Media Institute with two brilliant colleagues and a head of the university that backed us to the hilt. So I got the two, these two geniuses together and said, you two have got to work together. And I, I want something like the MIT Media Lab in the UK and you guys are going to do it. And they did. And it now employs about 80 people. And it does the most amazing work on developing technologies that help people learn and, and develop and change. It's just brilliant. Anyway, so that's me. That, that Born in Greece, grew up in the US until 11, um, and went back to Greece and then went to the UK met a handsome Scott at uni, married him, stayed, had kids, wanted a career. That's me. So that And that's how I got, it was personal, right? It was really personal. And then I had a career as a development director. And when I retired, I realized that the biggest hit, the biggest impact I'd had was not the money in the bank I'd raised for the universities I'd worked for, but the people, and in particularly the young women and young men who came up to me at my various leaving dues and said, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be doing X. I thought, oh, maybe I can turn that into something else. So I trained as a coach. I did a master's in coaching and behavioral change. And at that point, I realized this is it. This, this is what I really am on this earth to do. And that is help people change and develop and grow into themselves and then do stuff they never imagined they could do. And I realized I'd always had a belief that people are capable of far, far, far more than they give themselves credit for. Uh, and this was a way of helping some of that happen. And it was true, a, a young, in particular, a young woman who, uh, to whom I had given her first job uh, as a secretary. And then two years later, I said, no, I'm not going to renew your contract. You're too good for this. And five or six years after that, she was in my office saying, I've got this job. And this job was better than my job at a more prestigious organization, earning far more, bigger team. And I thought, yes, that's it. That's it. And she's gone on to even bigger and better stuff. So that's my story. It's an amazing story, I have to say, because this is Pioneers at Work. So it really resonates with me about how you started owning your path forward early in your career and making decisions that had an influence on where you actually went along the way. And I'm kind of curious, if you don't mind me asking, what is it about you, do you think, that gave you that, whether we call it courage, we call it confidence, but something inside you that said, yeah, I'm going to do this? Um, impatience frustration, um, being, as I said, a bit of a magpie and, and wanting something 
new, not uh, wanting the next thing rather than when I kind of mastered what I was doing, I wanted the next challenge. So enjoying being challenged. Um, my mother never worked and never even went to school. And I think partly it might be because she was very ambitious for me. Yeah. She saw you as the opportunity to she, move forward. She encouraged me to do things. Yeah. And probably gave me the message that if you work hard enough, you can do anything you want. But make sure it's something good and something worthwhile. Yeah. Something worthwhile is really important. If you're going to work hard, make sure it's really resonating with you on like what I'm doing matters to you yeah. personally. And, you know, maybe somebody else outside of you, that's important too. So when you think about how to apply and, and you do talk about this in um, your books about how mm -hmm. to apply this learning that you have to talk about how women could actually help themselves in owning their own careers. I think if we take a step back, um, I after becoming a coach, I set up a company with a friend of mine called Shahina Janjuha Jivraj and another friend called Diana Theodorus, who's from New York, by the way. And we decided that together we could do stuff that we couldn't do by ourselves. And we all wanted to help women achieve their full potential. And the first thing that we did, well, Shahina did, was she did a survey of 500 women across the UK from all backgrounds, all employment backgrounds. So big multinational companies, small mom and papa, you know, side street stores, um, retail, engineering, you name it, we covered it. We got 500 responses. And the question we asked, because at that stage, the narrative was women are not reaching the top because they don't want to. They're not ambitious enough. They won't spend time with their kids. And we, the three of us said, do you know anyone like that? And we didn't. So we were trying to get from women themselves, from all the background, what is it that's getting between you and reaching the top, of, the very top of an organization? And if you want to, what do you see as the barriers? And the thing that completely blew our minds is that all these women, all the responses from whatever background clustered around the same five things. Number one, we look up and we don't like what we see. We don't like the culture. And that was because uh, this is now 12 years ago, the culture, dominant cultures, were very, very masculine. The second one was, yes, okay, there are barriers, but we recognize we have got to be more assertive 
about our careers, and I'll come back to that one. The third one was, we don't get the rules. There's a lack of transparency about what it is that really gets you that promotion. And women have the reputation of not liking risk, but they don't like not knowing the odds. They're willing to take risks, and you see so many successful women entrepreneurs, but they don't like it when they don't think the odds are fair. Yeah, when right? they really, yes, absolutely. When they think that the, the deck is stacked it's against me. The, you're right. You're right. Absolutely right. So that lack of transparency was a really important thing. The other thing is, women said, we don't get tapped on the shoulder the way the men do. Because the top layers are mainly masculine, people tend to want someone like them. They're just more comfortable. That's a natural human reaction. I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's wrong not to recognize it, not act purely on it. Um, yeah, and I, so they weren't, they weren't getting noticed. And that was the last one. They weren't getting tapped on the shoulder. And they said, I don't feel my voice is being heard. And we, when Shahina Diana and I used to go into a room, whether it was all women or women and men and do some training, leadership training or diversity training. And we'd ask the question, how many of you in this room have had the experience of saying something in a meeting and no one reacting to it until later someone else says it and everyone says, brilliant idea, gone. And every time, every single woman put up their hand some of the men did, but every time, every single woman put up their hand. I, I don't know anyone who hasn't had that experience. I know I have. As your team really started looking at this data and all of these different areas, these five areas that were holding women back, I'm curious about what it what did you come away with, with actions that women could actually take to change the dynamic, mm. you know, to shuffle up the deck a little bit and figure out how to maneuver in what is an environment that is maybe heavily dominated by men and they still want to be able to break through and make the progress that they want to make? That, that is the question. That you put your finger right on the, the right button. And that's where we go back to this business of assertiveness. And th there's been a, an enormous amount written about confidence and things like um, imposter syndrome and, and so on. And, and both men and women have confidence issues. It's how they deal with them that's different. And on the assertiveness side, what what we found, and, and we found it a lot in our training, is that extremely capable, able, highly intelligent, 
successful women, really successful. And I'll, I'll give you a case study, which is where the particular syndrome was encapsulated. This was a woman who ran a country for a major multinational. Okay, a small country, but a country, right? She wasn't a, she was the manager, country manager from major tech multinational household name. And she had been overlooked for promotion three times. And she asked me to do a bit of coaching with her. So I said, sure. Help. You really need help. Hey. <laughs> her results were better than any of her local colleagues who were running countries or second. Her boss had said, yes, yes, you're next up for promotion twice since she had gone for that first one that she didn't get. And she still didn't get it. And I said, well, have you told your boss how you feel about this? And asked him to explain why you were overlooked for a male in each case. I think that's kind of coincidental, but maybe not. And she said, no, I haven't. And she said, and these words resonate, I don't like blowing my own crumpet. Don't like bragging. So what's going on? We call this the Cinderella syndrome. Cinderella is the one who does all the work. She, we all know Cinderella. We've all seen one. She always gets her projects done on time and to budget. She's actually better than anyone around her, but she doesn't get promoted. And she doesn't get promoted, and she doesn't get promoted. And in the end, she gets angry. But she still doesn't blow her own trumpet. She might leave, but she tends to find that she's got the same problem in her new organization. And when you talk to a Cinderella, you find that what she's doing is she's waiting. And she's waiting in sometimes in one sense and sometimes in two senses. Sometimes the one sense is she's actually waiting for a Prince Charming of a senior manager to knock on her door and offer her the glass slipper of promotion. And sometimes she's waiting like you wait at table. She is in service to someone who's getting all the credit. But sometimes she's just waiting. And you say to her, Cinderella, there is no such thing as a magic wand or Prince Charming or a fairy godmother. You're it. Unless you do something, it ain't going to happen. So that's what I mean about taking control of your career. And it has risks. And the risks are that if you behave like your male equivalent and use the same language, you are more likely to be criticized. You're not talking about your achievement, you're boasting. Yeah. So exactly the same behavior in a male and a female will get a different tag on it. And that is a risk. 
But if you're going to take control of your career, then it's a risk you have to take. You can mitigate that risk. You can manage that risk by subtly changing your language. But you do have to start talking about I. Women talk about we. What I say to women is, imagine this is your best friend. And she's saying, no, 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 of course not. It was luck. It was the team. Owning your career means owning your achievements. It's learning the language that makes you feel comfortable enough to say, thank you. I'm really pleased with that piece of work. It wasn't easy, but I managed it. And of course, my team contributed. They're great. Haven't we done well? Speaking with Kitty Chisholm has been both inspirational and motivational. Make sure you listen to episode number 17, and she'll start us off with talking about taking risks in order to take control of your career. Do you know someone with a pioneering mindset and a story to share? Reach out to me at ellenempowers.com. Let's share our stories and make a difference in the world.